0: Welcome to the Osprey Podcast. I'm joined today by a man with a wealth of stories to share. Jason Fox, or Foxy, as you might know, spent 10 years in the Special Forces before turning to a career in the TV and film industry, most recently starring in the Netflix documentary series Inside the Real Narcos and the new series of SAS Who Dares Wins on Channel 4. You probably know the drill by now. Foxy will be doing a live Q&A with us in the coming days, so do head over to the Osprey Europe Instagram account, where you'll be able to ask him all your burning questions. I'm your host, Marcus Brown, and this is the Osprey Podcast.
1: Foxy, how's it going, mate? Good, Marcus. How are you? Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm, I'm not bad at all. Thanks very much for coming. How's lockdown for you?
1: Uh, I quite like it. <laughs> Lockdown's not too bad, to be fair. I mean, um, it went, in the first week it started off all right because everything was quiet and everyone was getting on with their own lockdown and now it's just gone a real, little bit busier with like Zoom meetings and conference yeah, yeah. calls podcast like
0: everyone's adapted now and they all want (laughs) to
1: yeah yeah everyone's like realized that there is work to be done i want to make content right (laughs) yeah exactly
0: um so you're you're isolating with
1: yeah yeah i'm isolating with i'm isolating with a friend of mine ollie ollerton who's also from sas who dares wins we've known each other a long time we know our strengths and weaknesses in a situation like this so we figured we'd locate together We've got a bit of business to do together as well, so it's given us a real good bit of time together to focus on that. He's got a decent gym outside with a frame, so it all made sense. I got out nice, of London.
0: Really. Yeah, so you've yeah. been working on the the Battle360 stuff recently, right?
1: That's right, yeah. So we've got an app, Battle Ready 360 but we've sort of complemented that for the lockdown with... Um, sort of live workouts but but sort of like family friendly ones bit of fun nothing too long not too intense just enough to get people motivated and maybe get the kids involved as well so yeah we've, nice. we've focused a bit on that
0: Not fully beasting yourselves in those then?
1: No no we're, we're waiting for everything to go back to normal and an SAS to start so we can start doing it properly
0: <laughs> <laughs> So you're no stranger to pretty out there adventures um, let's start by talking about the the yukon river kayaking mm. the lake to the yukon river last year yeah. how long did that take
1: the whole exped was f- a 48 days just give or t- i think it was just over like by a few hours of 40, of the 48 mark
0: nice so what inspired <clears throat> that
1: um well the guy that i did it with sean he we've known each other a long time. Um, And he's done a few rivers in the past. I've done some expeditions of different sorts, obviously the Atlantic Row, and I've been out and about doing lots of stuff ever since my military career started, really. But he has canoed the length of quite a few. He's done the Mississippi, the Missouri, the Rhine. And I've always, and I've loved it, and I've always wanted to do one, and we've always wanted to do one together. And years ago, we started planning it, the Yukon that is because it was the one that we wanted to do and it never really came to fruition the timing wasn't right and then literally you know a couple of years ago we were both like right if we're going to do this we need to do it now commit to it and get it done and so that's how it sort of came about it came about inspired by Sean himself but also what he had been doing had fed my desire to go out there and and canoe the length of a river
0: right so that was entirely self-sufficient right
1: yeah it was yeah we were we were unsupported in the fact that we were there on our own, doing everything we needed to do using our own money to get it done and uh, yeah it was um it was uh it was awesome it was unbelievable what I mean I mean the Yukon runs through some of the most beautiful country in the world it was the as for us it was like one of the last wildernesses that exist
0: and did you have any major disasters um
1: did anyone? Did anyone go in? Is what I'm asking. <laughs> Do you know what? No, no, one went in, which is. I mean, there was a few mini mishaps. In fact, I'll, I'll, I can talk about them in a minute. But, but the beginning of the trek. So we started off. We started in a town called Skagway in Alaska, which was basically the start of the clock. great night. like goal here. I know. <laughs> to you just, actually going about. Skagway sounds horrendous. Sounds like a real <laughs> dump. We got there. It is beautiful. It is like a, a picture-perfect really? cowboy town from back in the day. All like the, the wooden oh buildings going down the main high street. It actually, um, every so often, you have a huge cruise, cruise ship come in and then everyone disembarks and just goes mental. So it goes, for, for like Whoa. a few hours a day, it, it is like carnage. And then it just dies right back down. So we started there. And um, we did a forty mile, 49-mile trek over the Chilkoot Pass, trail pass, whatever you want to call it, from Alaska into Canada to the source, or one of the sources of the Yukon, which for us was um, Lake Bennett. Um, you,
0: you alluded to some, uh, some mishaps, as you called them.
1: So we had a few different. The beginning of the trip wasn't... those first two weeks to get back into because we flew into Whitehorse to sort ourselves out before we actually started the trek but um, the first sort of 10 days to get to Whitehorse were absolute carnage we'd set ourselves a really tight timeline because we were meeting some people in Whitehorse you know as we were going through Mm. and we had to really we had to give it we had to give it some on that trail so our feet were absolutely hanging you know we were using uh, our Osprey Zeniths, big big pack horses, which were brilliant. But we carried we we, we carried way too much kit. My 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 rucksack was it was borderline a hundred pounds. It was heavy. Um, comms equipment and whatever. So the initial bit was hard. There were no real mishaps. The middle bit was great. It was the most picturesque part. The weather was amazing. And then, after that, it just sort of started to go slightly downhill and um, there was one time we were we'd been paddling for a long a long time during one of the days, needed to find some fresh water because as we moved on down the river, it was become very silty, and you can't feed off the river for water. you have to find small little creeks to get the fresh water from, and that wasn't going so well we for some reason we could just couldn't find a creek, and then we decided to pull over onto this beach, rest up for the night. Everything had gone well, I was dry, sun had been out, literally pulled up on the sh- side of the uh, river. As I stepped out, lost my balance and the sort of boat tipped over and in I went, oh. filled up the boat. I was, I was effing and blinding, Sean was laughing at me. <laughs> it was just like, it was the most uncouth, it wasn't like a dramatic capsize in big water, it was... It was the you know, and by this stage we'd been paddling. for You know, we were, we were decent at paddling. We knew we knew what we were doing, and I just took my eye off the ball, and yeah, I was fuming. <laughs> that was that was what I'd call a, a mishap. There was a few other things later did, on. Which did you
0: get get drenched? Everything
1: a, I was wearing got drenched. Yeah. It just but, uh, did, it,
0: presumably you had, you had kit and bags, right? That, oh everything. That, yeah, yeah but that was all. No, no,
1: that, was fine. That's all good to go. Yeah, that was fine. But right. it was just, you know, I, I didn't, as I was getting out of the boat, I was like, oh, I've gone through a day where I don't need to worry about drying the kit that I'm going to be wearing. I can, you know, it's just one less thing to think about. Next thing you know, it's absolutely drenched. And uh, yeah, your easy night of admin goes out the window and you, you, you're drying kit and trying to get it dry so you're not putting it back on wet in the morning. But yeah, no, that was one of them. I
0: um a group of friends of mine. We, we did the the Great Glen Canoe Trail. Um, which is basically, right. uh, we did it. So, we did it last winter, and it's basically one side of Scotland to the other. Um, yeah, yeah. And the, the thing that really surprised me on that is that just like the lock is so big, especially Loch Ness, it's so big that when the wind picks up, you get a lot of wind chop, and like you can get yeah. some, some, some decent swell on there. Did you have like how big is the river?
1: How wide is it? Did, did you so, have any stuff like that to deal with? Yeah, the the beginning when it was all the lakes, uh, Lake Bennett is massive. You know, This probably on a par with Loch Ness. And then, so we had Lake Bennett, we had a a lake, that that ran into Lake Tagish or Tagish and we were getting battered. We had like six foot waves, seven foot waves. The wind (sighs) had picked up. It was glacial water, so we knew that if we'd gone in, we were... We were, if I'm honest, that was at the beginning of the trip, and we sort of hadn't got our paddling arms in. Mm. And um, we were sort of like warming up into it. And there were, you know, there was a couple of times we were a little petrified because we were like, if we go in here, we're probably not going to be able to help each other out because we're in separate separate boats. But yeah,
0: sure.
1: So we, we stuck with it there. But. Going on from the lakes at the beginning, you, you hit a lake midway, which apparently has got a really, really bad reputation, Lake Le Berge. And everyone's like, oh, God, you know, that lake is a killer. If you get the winds, we got it, and it was a mill pond the whole way. It's, it's like 50, kilometer, 50 kilometers long, and we were just waiting for that thing to whip up. Every time there was a, a breath of air, we were like... <gasps> And you know it's all i didn't it didn't it didn't materialize and we were like oh, thank thank God for that anyway, got back up. you get onto the back end of the you know the 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 river you know where it starts to open up towards the end of the journey, and you're looking you know the river can be like two three miles wide, and that's where we hit some really sticky trouble the The worst few days were we were fifteen k from the end, and I was like. I was like, we've pretty much done this. And it, we, we were 15k from the end of the trip towards the end of the day. And I was talking to Sean going, do you reckon we can push it? And he's like, mm, we might be able to, but it depends on what's coming. And I kept looking behind us and you could see this front coming. It was like the grey clouds. And I was like, next thing you know, wind came out of nowhere. And it was, it was frightening to the point where Sean was like, we need to get off the water now and i was like yeah agreed i couldn't really deviate to get onto a shoreline so we ended up what we used to do was find either a a sandbar a big sandbar or an island uh because that was safer from the bear you know the bear issue and um Mm. we found this decent sized sandbar got the boats up tent up tied everything down and then we just got into the tent and we were getting battered by the wind the tent had collapsed by this stage it was like we had it literally against our faces and we had to do like an hour hour on hour off where we were like checking outside making sure everything was okay and I think it was about five in the morning the following day. So we had a good old or oh, the following morning we'd had a good battering and then Sean pokes his head out and he was like mate we're going now and I'm like what and I'm like sort of still sort of groggy from trying to get some sleep and He's like the, the the bars flooding. We're getting uh, surge, the, the rivers surging. Oh, so I've looked out, and the the sandbar disappeared. The boats, fortunately, were tied on. Uh, and we'd basically secured them onto some de- decent sized root roots, and then we'd sort of literally got up stuff that we didn't even have time to pack anything properly. Sleeping bags straight into the boats. We got in the boats, and then we're stuck in this squall. It wasn't even a squall; it's just a storm. I tried to find the lee of the river and then we ended up trying to get across to the other side of the river which is two miles at this the the point we found a point that was actually 1.5 miles wide where it sort of came a little bit narrower made a dash to the other side because that was the side that the end village was on uh and just got absolutely smashed and we ended up trying to find a safe haven we found a haven in, in the woods the, the woods were flooded as well and we just sort of like stood there and we were actually there. We pushed the broken tent again just to get inside something and mm. we were just getting, we were getting hammered. There was like eight eight to, uh, we were, we we estimated eight to 10 foot waves that were coming in on the river <laughs> and we, uh, you know, if we hadn't have got off when we did, I don't think we'd have got out of there. And I remember, I can remember sitting in that tent with Sean, we were both sat there Sort of like I had my arms around my knees looking down at the floor. He was doing the same and we didn't speak to each other for a good hour. We were just like lost in our own little thoughts of what the hell is going on. We'd been cruising as well before then. And literally we were were for 48 hours stranded. We couldn't get out of there because because of the water. And we were like that. It's 15k. I can run 15k in like, you know. And get that cracked in less than two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, leave the boat. I did, we'll just it. finish it on foot. I know. I was like, "Are oh, we gonna die before the end?" I knew it. I'd I bloody knew. It. <laughs> but we. That's
0: <laughs> no. funny. That's the the river surging thing. That that was like my big fear on mm. when when we were doing our trip, which is ridiculous because it just wasn't going to where we were. I can't remember where we were camped, but we were we were on this beach um on the final night and i i could hear the water lapping from yeah. from my from my sleeping bag and i just couldn't sleep at all man i had to, i had to check like every few hours i was yeah. opening the tent up and like just having a look outside shining the torch out going like cuz i was convinced that it was around me like i could hear the water yeah, all around yeah. me and i i don't know what what it was about where we were but the sound was just seemed to be bouncing around the whole thing it was it was awful yeah. <laughs>
1: So what was the? Uh, I'm interested in this. The 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 yeah. the, um, the, which, the great did, So it yeah, it
0: goes from Inverness down to Benavie, or the other way around. Yeah, I mean technically yeah. it goes all the way to Fort William, I think, but most people don't bother with the last bit because it's it's basically right. just a series of portages.
1: It's, oh right, okay. It's kinda like yeah,
0: where, you know if you're not paddling. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's beautiful. So it's it's basically just a series of locks and um, canals in between um mm. and it's, it's unreal and so it's really um because the area is is it's a lot of it's kind of just been left to its own devices it doesn't get yeah. cared for particularly well so it's sort of you go you just see like these odds like there's little shipwrecks on the side and like massive trees that have come down and stuff and you're like yeah you know the Loch Ness Monster clearly slid in there like yeah yeah <laughs> um you know that's where he's, he's been he's been here for sure yeah yeah um Awesome. It's, re- it's really really spectacular. Um, we're thinking about doing the River Spey next year, actually.
1: Okay, yeah, I know the River. We were, we were going
0: to do it this winter, but I don't know whether we'll be able to now. We'll see. Oh mate,
1: that would be awesome. I've been up there in good weather. The Spey. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, spot on. I want, I want, I want to do. I wouldn't mind doing a river. I wouldn't mind doing something in the UK. Oh
0: so yeah, a, the UK adventures. I think they're really underestimated.
1: They are. I've been talking about it. I've been talking about it with Aldo. Actually, we've been talking about some UK oh, yeah. adventures and and like trying to get it out any, there that, any in particular well I don't know yet, yeah, but something like that you know maybe the um, the one that you did um, yeah. that sounds interesting and then doing some doing you know doing stuff that we've probably already done but like just bringing it back and sort of talking about it on social media like the Anarchy your Ridge up in Glencoe Mm-hmm. Those sort of things. So I don't know. We need to. Me and him need to have a proper chat about it. I wouldn't want him to find out about some of the stuff we haven't spoken about by listening to a podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, he he worked with you on the um, Inside the Real Narco series, right?
1: Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. I, when when that came about, I was like, look, if we're going out somewhere like that, I want someone I trust with me and someone who knows what he's yeah, doing. So yeah, I asked Aldo and he said yes, and we had a great time. <laughs> Sort of.
0: How, yeah, I was gonna say how how does a how does a show like that work? Because um, you're like, what's the process? Because you're you're getting in with like real criminals and yeah. filming them being criminals. I mean, there's a bit where you you literally get in a canoe with a smuggler and he shows you the route that he took the night before. Mm. How do you, how do you get to that point of trust with these kinds of people?
1: There is an awful lot of Development that goes into the series. So once it's been decided what we're going to do, people then go out and about. Producers go out and f- try and look for those stories or those people, and they do it through like a. There's like a, um, a group of people around the world. They call themselves fixers. They're, they're sometimes they're producers themselves, yeah. but they have connections into different worlds and different people are their friends. They might have even been part of different. You know, envir uh, industries, but with the with the with the narco's one, we had people in Peru, we had people in Colombia and Mexico who had dabbled in the cartel lifestyle in the past and had already had those links and hadn't burnt their bridges, and so they managed to get in and sort of, you know, you gain right. their trust. We went out there. And all those people you see us with, bar a few of them, we, we see beforehand and just build up a better relationship anyway. But sometimes it is, sometimes you do go in cold, like um, the guys with the masks in the room where we were having a chat about them being hitmen and whatnot, that was pretty cold and pretty mm. sketchy. And the guy with the red bandana in Mexico who was sort of running the cartel's backyard, that was that was first time meet, and you just had to play it by ear, really, and just not annoy them. <laughs> so play, play it cool.
0: What did you make of of Popeye? So he he was Pablo Escobar's like right hand man for yeah. many many years, right? What was yeah. your impression of him?
1: Uh, Popeye, who's now dead, he Is he died in prison, actually. Yeah, he died. So so a little. Like, recent history on Popeye is after the interview we did with him, I think about three months later, he got arrested again for extortion. So he's still sort of, like, dabbling in the dodgy world. So he was on parole, still got caught doing bad stuff, got arrested, got banged up. And then I think four or five months ago, he died of cancer, apparently, whilst in prison. Oh, wow. So he's no longer with us. But um, what did I make of him? I mean, a charismatic individual, to be honest. Um uh with like take away what he's done if you could if you could if there was any way of not knowing that about him and meeting him for the first time you'd probably like him but then with that background knowledge and spending we spent like a couple of days with him really um on and off and he's just he was sorry a very sort of It's all about ego. He was manipulative. He sort of spun... He spun that what he was doing was... He he was a human rights activist, apparently, in his head. (laughs) And I can sort... I, I see where he's coming from because essentially he was working for the cartel. Forget what he was doing for the cartel, but he was working for them. And their main enemy was the government. And the government were corrupt and were getting done for, you know, human rights violations anyway so they 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 basically branded themselves human rights activists because they were fighting the government you're like that that doesn't quite work out mate you blew up a plane right (laughs) (laughs) so yeah he's a just a complex character but you know a victim of some of his own decisions but also of you know being in the being in and growing up in a country like Colombia back in those days so difficult to say but he's not a nice bloke but bottom bottom line, he's not a nice bloke.
0: When he was holding a gun to your head,
1: was that? Were you nervous at that? At that, were you not particularly concerned? No, because we'd been in his flat already. The only bit, uh, the only bit I didn't like about it was I just thought it was a bit cheesy. I was like, oh, like because I right. obviously I was like, uh, can we check that? Can we check these weapons are are um yeah. not not going to be able to be used? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, when you know, it was like, "Oh, can you can you show us how you do it?" And the you know the guy that was directing was like, "Well, show it on Foxy." And I'm like,
0: "Really?" I'm like, this- "Okay." So I guess that that presumably that kind of killed the um, killed the tension in a way. Yeah, yeah.
1: We, uh, we you know before that scene, we'd gone all gone out for lunch anyway. So so the 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 stuff with pop the stuff the stuff with Popeye wasn't actually that gnarly. I mean, me and him, yeah, we spoke about. What our what my old job entailed, which essentially, you know, being in the special forces. Bottom line is, sometimes it does involve, you know, extreme violence, which is a, an unfortunate byproduct of being a soldier. But his was outright violence and pretty much enjoying it as well, you know. And so mm. that's what the, the conversation was more about getting into his psyche as to why he thought it was all right and stuff like that. But the bits like that—that that was. That was sort of, I, yeah, it was cool, but I was a bit like, yeah, okay, whatever. It was more the ones in Mexico when we were having discussions with the guys in that room at night, and one of them actually it wasn't included, but there was a, there was a, a breakdown in communication because of the language barrier and the interpreters there. And uh, one mm-hmm. of the guys who was there was sort of like the body, bodyguard, but a huge Mexican guy. Basically, turned around, they sort of missed misinterpreted what I was trying to get at and one he was like right basically if if you don't screw the nut I'm going to I'm going to kill all of you chop you up and bury you in the desert and we were like oh, my mouth went dry and we were like no 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 it's all good oh, it's all God. good let's t- you know let's try and sort of like calm this down and we got the rest of the interview done and it was okay and you know everything went okay I asked some gnarly questions some deep questions and then once the sort of camera was turned off everyone was friends it was weird you know the masks came off and they were like having wow. a bit of a laugh and it was just like what there he, he just threatened to chop us up about you know 20 minutes ago but yeah that was a, that was that was a slightly more gnarlier one I'd say
0: yeah was it would you say that was the most uh, kind of sketchy moment
1: well thought, um, yeah. there was a few there was that one there was the one where we came you know we felt that we went to the scene of the crime where the chopped up body was there mm. Yeah, and and it sort of looked like it was going to kick off as well there was army and police running around with assault weapons and that was that the tension rose there but the one where you see us in the bushes hiding from the helicopters that was if that um, so if those they were they were um, Mexican Marines if they'd have come down we'd have been in the middle of a massive massive gunfight and it was that was a bit worrying and then I mean that day was red hot it was sweltering out in the mexican country and um we'd spent a lot of the day with them running off because these helicopters kept flying around they were coming down the ridge lines they were flying along the length of the river that we were next to we were supposed to be having a barbecue and a bit of a bit of a booze up with these cartel guys trying to sort of smooth you know to try and relax everyone so we could just chat yeah yeah
0: yeah
1: and we had the chat and we had a couple of drinks but it was interjected with them lot running off because and he was trying to coordinate like 300 cartel members to like whack the Marines if they came, if they landed. And I was like, we don't need any of this. Then we got caught, in a, then the, the hot weather changed. We got caught in a massive storm, big, big thunderstorm. Us as a crew, so I was on one side of the river now because we'd had this stupid little boat that was ferrying us about that nearly sank. I got over to one side with myself, the cameraman, and the director and then Aldo and the fixer were on the other side with the cartel guys and there was this massive la- like proper flood flash flood the, the the tracks had turned to sludge and I was like and we'd been driven in there on these little it was like a Ford Focus and I was like we are not getting out of here and we needed to be back into Kulakan Culiacan, where we were staying to report into the channel and it was just utter carnage and eventually they got back over we got in the vehicles and we're like and i was like right i'm driving i says aldo i think driving the other car was like i was like we need to absolutely mallet it through It was about three kilometers of roads which was it wasn't roads it was just dirt tracks that had turned to mud and i'm like we're gonna have to nail it like literally drive dangerously just so we don't get stuck and we've been so we we were malleting it along these tracks the car i was driving was actually the fixer's girlfriend's car apparently he was in the back car going oh my god he's driving like a lunatic my girlfriend's gonna kill me and i was like i didn't i didn't care i just wanted to get out of there anyway all of a sudden we come around the corner and there was a downed tree so in in the storm this tree had come down by this stage the track had hardened a bit it was a bit more sort of like more gravelly and on and the tree was getting chopped up by these soldiers. On the other side of the tree was a massive convoy of um, tooled up Marines in trucks. And I was like, oh my god. And I was like, right, put the camera down. They came over and they were like, all basically they just saw a load of white guys and were like, What what the hell are you doing? We're in the back we're in like cartel Blair, land. Yeah. And they're like, What are you doing? And we're like, Oh, we just we've just come from look, we're looking, we're doing like a, a bit of a sort of filming thing with regard to um nature and stuff and they were like adequate look and then like and then they they just moved us on because they were but all they were interested in was going and follow up and chase up these cartel guys that they'd obviously seen from the helicopters mm-hmm. so they they were going into a gunfight and we were like so we'd estimated we were probably about we missed a being in the crossfire by about 20 minutes half hour and I've you know we we literally wow. as they drove past they, all of them there was about 12 vehicles as so they drove past all the Mexican soldiers in the back were just proper giving us death stares and then as they went we were like we are out of it Like <laughs> literally just hightailed it but yeah there was a, a another moment where because we couldn't literally because we saw what was going on we were like put the cameras down now get rid of them cameras now otherwise we'd have been able to put it in the sort of put it in but without that it wouldn't have made no wouldn't have made any sense but it was yeah it was it was worrying
0: <laughs> we had Aldo on the show not long ago and he talked yeah. about his approach to stress and anxiety and fear in general mm. and he was saying how his approach is a very logical one and it's 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 literally like I know this so if I do this I won't get Ebola <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah yeah exactly and like by just breaking it down into facts and then going, well, I know that so I can disregard this as long as I do this. Um, mm. Would you say that's similar to your approach? I mean, does that still work when you're in a situation where, I mean, you yeah. don't know all of the elements in a situation like you were in in, in the Narcos film, do you? There's so many mm. moving parts. There. I think,
1: yeah, I think definitely, Like, I totally agree with Aldo, but for me, I try not to think so if I'm going into something that is deemed as reasonably gnarly, I will do as much as I need to do to know what I need to know f- for doing that. Like, for instance, the Yukon, right? Because, okay, you know, it can be quite an intimidating thought going into, you know, being on your own with a mm. friend paddling a river that can be really dangerous and there's grizzly bears cutting around. So I just make sure I know enough of everything I need to do So I t- train myself up on what it is that I need to know, whether it's navigation kit, whether it's comms equipment, whether it's knowing the procedures for an encounter with a bear or how you set up camp when you're on the side of a river. Same with the the Atlantic Ocean, you know, me and Aldo were on that together and it was about learning everything because obviously knowledge dispels fear. You get, the more you know, the more confident you are about a certain situation. That's what they do in the military. They just train you up in all the situations and all the possible eventualities that you sort of look at yourself and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty good at being able to know what happens if it all goes, you know, pear-shaped. So there's an element of that and then then what i do is i tend to sort of not worry about what hasn't happened so i sort of live live a little bit like an 18 month old where you sort of like enjoy live in the moment more than worry about the future and then obviously once things start to go wrong or they feel like they're going wrong you you will feel it you get that emotion you get the fear and in and what i do is i just I give that feeling, that emotion, the respect it deserves. So I'm like, instead of being like, oh, I'll try and hide it or, or just get on with something. I'm like, hang on a minute, why am I feeling like this? So I'm like, it, it, you know, it might be a two second thing. It might be a two minute thing, depends <laughs> on how much time you've got. But I'm like, hang on, why do I feel like this? Okay, cool, yeah, I'm allowed to be scared because of X, Y, or Z. And then all what I do is just get myself to focus. So I use that to focus me and then I'm like, right, all all I need to do now is this, this, or this, or I know I need to do this, this, and this. So it comes to that, the bit that Aldo probably emphasised a bit on, which is the more methodical side of things of being, yeah, I'm scared, but I know what I'm doing and I need to do this, this, and this to get myself out of this situation. So yeah, I mean, that was a long-winded way of saying, don't worry about what hasn't happened, and if it has happened, it's too late to worry about it. You've got to get on with the stuff that you know.
0: Do you think you kind of enjoy the chaos uh, of experiences like that to a degree.
1: Yes, I do. I, yeah, I enjoy the chaos, unfortunately. I, I'm very, I feel that I'm very good in extremely ridiculous situations. And then <laughs> if a washing machine breaks down, I am, a, I'll lose my, yeah. I sort of, I become more angry at stupid things. I st- like, Imagine st- like stubbing your toes an obvious one, everyone gets angry at that. But I probably... <laughs> yeah, I lose a lot more energy stubbing my two toe than I do nearly losing my life. I think.
0: <laughs> oh, I was get- I was going to ask actually. You you mentioned that you you basically packed way too much stuff on the Yukon trip. Mm. What was it that you felt you didn't
1: need out of that? It wasn't that we <clears throat> it wasn't that we didn't pack too much stuff. It was because we were self. We you know we were unsupported. We needed to bounce from doing that walk. You know the forty-nine mile trek into our boats were getting delivered. They got delivered on the back of a train. Weirdly, at this in the middle of nowhere, this train. Well, I was like going back to that, actually. I turned around to Shorten and I was like, "Mate, there's no way." We sort of like just found ourselves next to this railway track, and there was a wooden building next to it. No one there. And I'm like, "Mate," he goes, 100 percent, we got there." And he like, "We got forty minutes before this train turns up. If we if we miss the train, we don't get our boats because they just go." Anyway, we're sat there. And then this massive, you know, the American, classic American trains, massive freight, 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 freight train. massive freight train comes rolling in and they're on a flatbeds, two canoes. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> and we sort of like dragged them off. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it wasn't that we, um, it was just the nature of what we we're doing. We had a lot of kit and yeah. the bit, you know, the comms equipment, like the sat phones and the, we had a Bgan, which is a. A tech bit of kit where you can link to the satellites and then start downloading images. You can link up to the internet, but because of the terrain we we're in, we just couldn't hit the satellites anyway for that. So the whole forty-nine mile trek, we had no comms, <laughs> and so I was carrying all this communications equipment that was dead weight. I didn't even uh, use it until the very yeah. until the last bit before we get in the boat. So I was a bit like, well, I could have done without that. All the batteries, all the solar power. We could have actually just loaded it, preloaded it into the boat and then carried a lot less. But we didn't know. It was all right. Live and learn, right? Live and learn, exactly.
0: You've spoken a lot about mental health and about your personal struggles with with PTSD. Mm. I wanted to ask, how did that actually manifest for you? What were some of the symptoms,
1: if that's the right word,
0: Um, that you were experiencing?
1: The PTSD, it didn't it wasn't like a Hollywood style manifestation where I came home and cars were backfiring and I was jumping behind bins and <laughs> taking cover and screaming at people. I just I don't know, I just, I'd always loved my job, I'd always enjoyed going out and doing stuff and I, you know I'd been in a lot of sticky situations with people that, you know, I'd worked well with. And then I suppose it just got to the point where maybe for me, I'd just, you know, I'd done one too many and it was a store, uh, you know, the last tour that I did was probably the straw that broke the camel's back. And it wasn't, I didn't actually have flashbacks or weird stuff like that. I just felt differently about the job. I didn't, I just felt like I wasn't enjoying it. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? Because I do really love it. And it just sort of, because of that, it sent me on this sort of downward spiral into depression. Because I couldn't understand why I wasn't enjoying a job that I loved. So it was more, you know, it was more mood than it wasn't. So it wasn't as glamorous. Unfortunately, I wish I wish I could turn around and say, <laughs> yeah, I was having loads of nightmares. I was like thrashing out, <laughs> jumping behind bins, crawling across roads, and all things like that. It wasn't. It was just like it was a complete opposite, actually. Which is, you know, I was just like. Well now, what, and you know and, and you know yeah. i've got to deal with deal with a bill why, why am I dealing with a bill, but then you know when the when the prospect of going out to do a job as a special forces operator was coming back around again, i wasn't looking forward to it, and I think I'd just burnt myself out, and it not that i'd done any more than anyone else you know everyone has their limit i suppose and some people hit it and some people don't and for me as an individual maybe i'd just hit that limit
0: was there a turning point that made you a single turning point that made you address those issues
1: um there wasn't so there's two ways i've interpreted that question is was there a single thing that tipped you over the balance? No, because I've tried to explain that to people before where they're like, oh, what was the one moment where you got PTSD? And I was like, there wasn't. I said, you know, you could say, oh, what was the stressful thing that tipped you over? I'm like, crikey, I've been involved in a million different stressful situations. It's, <laughs> yeah, sure. So you wouldn't be able to you know, pin it I, down even if it wasn't. No, anything, I think it was, it was, no, it was just an accumulation that changed my mood. But... But, but in terms but changing... of
0: when you, when you decided to address the PTSD issues, was there a um, was, point at which is, you went, I I, this is, I, can't continue like this?
1: There's two There's two points, actually. There's two phases. There's the first phase where I wasn't willing to really believe that it was happening, but I felt like I had to go through the motions of trying to address it. So that was when I was still in the military where I... F- had a another tour coming up, but I didn't really look forward to it and I didn't like that mood and I felt my military mojo had disappeared and I wanted to find it again. That was me pretending. So I went and saw someone, but it, I didn't really engage. And I, wasn't really, I, I wasn't being honest with myself. Then I left the military. Then things got really bad because I was depressed and down and mm. didn't feel I had a purpose. And then I suppose the real turning point was being stood on a cliff contemplating throwing myself off because I just felt like I was mm-hmm. failing at stuff and I didn't understand what my purpose was or what I belonged to but it was a case of to be honest it was it was something that probably needed to happen for me it wasn't that I was going to launch myself off it it was more about it was a, like I had to go up there and you know look at my two decisions and be like right you either do yeah. that or you you turn back around and you start changing your life and doing stuff that you need to do to get yourself back into a, a better frame of mind and find yourself a bit of a belonging. But yeah, that was the turning point, I'd say.
0: And fortunately you chose the right the right path.
1: Unfortunately, I do I don't like heights anyway, so I don't know why I chose a cliff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your coping strategies? Do you still feel you have to kind of check yourself regularly?
1: I don't think that I've I no, not. I don't think. I know. I haven't got any issues to deal with now, but no more than anyone else. I'm not. I'm not. Mm. I'm not naive to the fact that I might not slip into. You know. I'm still. You know. I'm like anyone else. I still wake up some mornings, and I'm especially now, <laughs> still wake up some mornings. Like that, oh, you know. I'm itching to get out and do. You know. Yeah, I can go out for a forty-five minute run around the fields around here, but that's you know that's still not me. So it's not that i've still suffering but i'm not immune to it but all i do is what i feel everyone else should do is every time that you do feel in in a feel internally a little bit negative or a little bit down or you feel your mood has changed or moved in the direction you don't want it to go instead of ignoring it One of my management systems, I suppose, is to sit down and be like, why do I feel like this? Or I could be driving somewhere and I'll be like, why do I feel like this? Oh, hang on a minute. I know why. And because I've explored it and had a look at it, I then work out what I need to do to get myself out of it. Instead of staying in that pit of despair, it Mm -hmm. might be that I've got a bill to pay and I'm like, do you know what? I'll just get that done. I'll stop putting it off. I'll get it done. And then lo and behold, the minute it's done, you're like, okay, fine. Or... Maybe it's because I've been indoors. You're like, that? oh yeah, just get out, go and walk around the garden. Don't go and do ten burpees in your like patio. Whatever you've got, do what you need to do, or have a coffee, or a, you know, it could be something a little bit more complex than that. But at least you, it, it, the minute you give it the respect it deserves and have a look at it, you'll probably work out what it is you need to do to get yourself out of that. It just takes a bit. It's about having a bit of time for yourself, I think. I think that solves an awful lot for people. It does for me anyway.
0: Do you, well, do you or did you ever particularly talk to your mates about it much?
1: Mm, not initially, I didn't. I was sort of a little bit embarrassed. Yeah. Now, you know, there's a, there's a fine line, you know, there's a lot of people are like, well, oh, but blokes aren't supposed to, you know, you're supposed to be hard and blokey and manly. I'm like, well, you can still do that. Just go and talk to someone though, you know, I've got... <laughs> They're
0: not mutually so, exclusive.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I've got mates who are some of the gnarliest blokes on the planet, I I believe, you know, the guys that I've worked with. And we still phone each other up and have a chat and check in. And we're not, it's not like we're like, oh mate, I feel, you know, start, you know. <laughs> we just do it in a way that fits in with who we are, and, you know, just mm. phone them up. You're all right mate, how's it going? And maybe have a bit of a laugh. Or if someone has got something serious, you just listen so there is you know it's not about losing your sort of masculine manliness it's about yeah. keeping yourself sane and alive it's you know it's cool it's like you know being in the military you, you're doing sometimes you're doing a very gnarly job but all the time in a weird way you're checking in all the time you're giving each other radio checks if you're not right next to each other right
0: yeah of course. or you're,
1: or you're, or you might be next to someone and you're squeezing him on the shoulder. Now, that's not touching him up. It's basically saying, <laughs> mate, I'm here and I'm good to go when you are. You it's just, yeah, yeah. And and it's done so you do... The reason you do it is so you're not talking because sometimes you've got to be a bit quiet. But it is... There's an awful lot to be said just having that hand on your shoulder. You're like, oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. And it's the same in every, every other career, industry, life, you know, whatever you do. To be able to know that you can check in, whether it's on a phone, tapping someone's shoulder, or checking in via Zoom, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's it. There's a lot, lot to be said for it, and I think it should be done a lot at the moment. I think you know, yeah, definitely, yeah. I think it, I, a, I
0: think it's. Um, I think it's something that's so important for everyone. I, when I was uh, sort of eighteen to twenty, I went through some some really heavy anxiety, um, mm. which was was basically, I I mean, I don't know if this is where it was rooted, but when I was five, I had a tumour in my kidney. Uh, So the kidney removed and obviously went through a pretty rough time um, on chemotherapy and all that. Mm. Um, And I never really thought it had affected me. But then when I got to my late teens, suddenly I was really scared all the time that I was dying Mm. of something. Like, and and there would be, it would be the tiniest of signs and I'd massively read into it and it was exactly what you were describing of just spiralling and not being able to get yeah. your thought process outside the spiral. <clears throat> but I was really, really lucky in that and my, my closest mate at the time, two weeks after I first sort of really recognised what was happening, I chatted to the, this really close mate of mine who said that he was going through the exact same thing. And yeah. now... I value that so much because I was both of us were able to just share whatever we're feeling and it there was no judgment there. It was literally just a conversation about whatever it is you're currently dealing with. And it was mm. it was so valuable just to be able to say it to someone else and for them to hear it and not even have to say anything back at times. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, yeah I th- I think just having that like affirmation from a mate the, so valuable. The thing
1: is I like you you'd gone through that situation as a younger lad mm. and feeling the way you felt at a different time, you're allowed to do that. You know, that that was that's essentially PTSD. There's a post-trauma incident that's happened. It just so happens right, it manifested yeah. itself and hit you at 18, 19, whenever. Because you've, you've just suddenly got to a point where it's come back into your head and it can come back any time. And you're like, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute, I haven't actually yeah. processed that. Because when you're five, you probably doesn't really, whereas when you're 18, 19, you're a lot more aware and you're like, hang on a minute, I'm yeah. aware more of my body. So you feeling like that, you're allowed to feel like that because it's natural. You didn't want to feel like that. And if you didn't want to, it means it's a natural thing to happen. And and I, yeah, I agree. The best, the best thing. Yeah. The, I mean, I, uh, I don't know, I think when I was about 14, 15, I was obsessed with death and I was scared of it. And I kept going, wondering about what... Yeah, I can, I'd i never had a situation like you ever. You know, not, not, yeah. not beforehand. So I'm like, where did this... You know, I look back on it and it's just like, all it was was I was becoming a little bit more aware of what was going on around me. And I yeah. heard people talk about death and you're like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> and then over a period of time, you hear other people saying that they're a bit worried about it. You're like, oh, I'm not alone. Okay, fine. You know, crack on. Can't really control it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. But so I suppose it's like, if anyone's ever in those... P- moments where they feel anxious and that you're allowed to be anxious or have anxiety it's about what you need to do to stop feeling like that whether and i i generally still think one of the biggest savers of anyone's sanity and life is is talking
0: um tell us a bit about rock to recovery
1: okay so rock to recovery is a it's an organization that was set up by myself and jamie sanderson We both in the military. We both in the Marines together. Uh, We both left after twenty years service, both for the same reasons, although we didn't know it at the time. Pete, we got both medically discharged for PTSD. Then we met up, caught up, moaned about the system, moaned about its shortfalls, and then instead of moaning, we were like, "Hang on, hang on a minute. Why don't we do something?" Now we didn't know what rock to recovery looked like. We just came up with this name because he had learned to play the guitar and I like being outdoors as in rocks and whatnot and we were like you know right. what do we need what do we need to do to try and help people and at first it was just opening up and telling guys at the time that we'd been discharged for this and if there was anyone that wanted a bit of advice on our journey you know with experience from our journey come and talk to us and that's what it was it's now like this organization that delivers coaching and therapies using coaches and therapists to people that need that intervention so you know all the veterans all the veterans dependents we're now encompassing the 999 services as well so you know the NHS uh, the fire the police and it's about you know helping people get the get the sort of care that they need to get them through themselves through some you know sticky times and then help them refocus and move on brilliant i'm i'm now more a mouthpiece and an ambassador than i'm still a a non-shareholding director but jamie and the guys they're all welfare trained and they're the ones that go out do the intervention you know they talk people off railway tracks and things like that so they're they're awesome
0: wow um and you presumably will now not be having uh any events this year or at least this summer but i know you you did have some booked in right
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know (laughs) what's going on. Everything's like on hold. It's postponed. But Mm. until when, who knows, you know, there was some, you know, there's stuff that's still pending, still waiting. It'll no doubt either get pushed to next year or the stuff that we can do later this year will be done later this year. There was something that I, couldn't do in september which was the rock to recovery would do ben nevis now i couldn't make it it might be that i can actually make that now because other things have been postponed but
0: um i was going to ask what those events might be obviously we now know ben nevis in september um so is that is that something that anyone can sign up to come along on
1: yeah you you can yeah i mean it's supported by osprey as well it was last year that's true
0: i should say we'll be there Whenever the next one is, we'll be
1: there. Yeah, yeah, they will be there. When, well, yeah, well, hopefully, you know, that it doesn't in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't take that much organising. So if everything sort of slips back to normal, you know, which I think will be a gradual drip process, yeah, hopefully September's still a still a doable date, depending on people's diaries, and we can still do it. But yeah, you, anyone can sign up on the Rock to Recovery website and. Uh, you know, as long as there's enough uh, spaces, get yourself up there. It was a good last year's was a good, good fun, long day for me. Good fun though.
0: Yeah, I I heard you spent how many hours up there? Was it thirteen hours or
1: something? I spent yeah, we spent a bit of time. We t- we took a slow stroll back down. So what is up next?
0: As soon as the minute lockdown lifts, what do you think you're going to be doing?
1: Uh We were do. We were supposed to be doing something out in New Zealand, but that got. We were out there, and then it got sort of kiboshed at the last minute so we flew back so that will need to that will need to rear its head there is going to be more sas who dares wins again the
0: um the new celebrity series is about to start right on channel 4 yeah uh,
1: yeah that's about that's on the 20th of april so in a week on on a week next monday nine o'clock channel 4 the new celebrity one starts
0: any exclusives you can give us
1: I can't give you too many exclusives, but there are some really, really, there are some golden moments in that one. I mean, the people that are on it just lend them, it lends itself to people are going to love it. People that are into that sort of thing are going to love it. And if you don't think you're into that sort of thing, you'll probably like it.
0: Well, there we go. There's there's uh, perhaps your first um, recommendation for lockdown. We'd like your lockdown recommendations for one song, one film or TV show, and one, anything else. So that could be a podcast, a book, an app, whatever
1: okay. you want. Right, so my lot, obviously, I'm going to do a little bit here, but the TV show's going to have to be Celebrity S.A.S. Who Dares Wins because it is. there is a lot of fun in that. There's a lot of seriousness as well, but it will be a really, really good distraction from this thing we're in at the moment. Lose yourself in S- Celebrity S.A.S. Who Dares Wins. Lockdown song is a little bit more difficult because I'm I like a lot of different music, but I do spend a lot of time training and I I li- I like deep progressive house music. Okay. <laughs> so I listen to a lot of that. Yeah. So it's not so much one song. There is a label that I listen to called Anjuna Deep. They do a great podcast. So that's what I listen to a lot okay. of the time if I'm training. Bit out there. Don't get me wrong, I do like a lot of the other stuff, ACDC and all that, but at the moment I'm going through that phase, I'm reliving my sort of like 90s again. Well, Well, it's not 90s, but you know what I mean. Um, And then book... um, Okay, I'm supposed to plug my own and I've got a new one coming out in October, but I'm not going to do that because I'll be doing a lot of that on social media anyway. But there's a book I'm reading at the moment. Um, It's by a guy called Peter Ackroyd and it's called London the biography and it is a bi. he's written a biography of London and it is awesome He's, written, he's the way he's written it is like London is a person and it starts deep oh, wow. down in the deep history of London. It's worth a read if you can get hold of it
0: Do you know having spent a reasonable amount of time with Foxy now and particularly after that last conversation I have to say I think he's probably one of the most honest and open people that I've had the good fortune to meet. It really was a joy having him on. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I will remind you once more to follow Osprey Europe on Instagram so you can get involved with Jason's Q&A and also do send us a message if you're enjoying the show and let us know who you'd like to hear from next. I've been your host, Marcus Brown, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Osprey Podcast.